Today is the final message in our series. It seems like a short series has gone over a long period of time because there's been a lot that we've been doing along the way. But a number of weeks back, we started a series entitled Dollars and Cents, A Biblical Approach to Finances. And over the past few weeks, we have addressed several themes that relate to money that we find in Scripture. Now, the overriding theme of our series has simply been this. It's only when our financial priorities align with kingdom priorities will we handle our finances in a way that declares that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. I hope in repeating that so many times, it hasn't lost its luster and impact for you because that is a a very powerful, powerful statement and reality for our lives. We've considered the themes of lordship and generosity. We've talked about honesty, greed, and fear. And today we're going to conclude the series with considering the theme of unrealistic expectations. Now, once in a while in the summer, one of the things my family likes to do on a Saturday morning is get up early and head out to some garage sales. And not because we need anything. We don't need anything. It's more about the just being together, having some coffee, exploring, just wondering if somewhere along the way on some table is there a little treasure that somebody is undervalued that you can just score on and, and, and bring home. So last Saturday, Emily and I went, and we came across this street. It was a gold mine because it was a street sale. So there were six houses on the same little street so we could park the car and walk from place to place. And I was walking up the driveway of this one lady. She was about 90 years old. And she had a table out, and she had things on it. And as I walked up, I could see already before I arrived at the table that there was nothing on that table that was of interest to me. I mean, it was, it was you talk about one person's junk is another man's treasure. No, this was just junk. And she was out there with her neighbors, bless her heart, you know, trying to move a few little things out of her house. And as I came up and I took a courtesy look, because, you know, I'm going to walk all the way up the driveway, I could hear her complaining. And so I said, is everything okay? And she said, that person just really insulted me. And I said, why? And she pointed to this little stereo I mean, 100 years ago, we call it a ghetto blaster. Remember that? I don't know. That's probably not even appropriate anymore. But it was a little boombox stereo. It's just this little thing. And I noticed a piece of masking tape on it that said $20. Yeah. And she said, I said, how did she insult? She said, she offered me $2 for that. Can you believe it? (laughs) So I couldn't help myself. I said, can I help you understand this a little bit? You know, because I kind of default to solving people's problems. I said, can I help you with that? And she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, okay, so you need to understand that most people aren't buying these anymore. In fact, if you want to buy a new one, I think I could get a brand new one just like that for less money. She said, but it has a CD player in it. (laughs) I said, but no one buys CDs anymore. I said, they download their music on their phones and their devices. And and so she's having a moment and she's processing it. And then she said, 
thank you, you know. I really appreciate that you took the time to help me understand. Because, yeah, now I understand. So what do you think is a good value for it? <laughs> I said, probably $2. <laughs> the woman had an unrealistic expectation in terms of what her stereo was worth. I'll look at things and people often say to me, it's a special family heirloom, what would you give me for that? And I always start by saying, I'm going to insult you with my offer. Because what it means to you is more valuable than what it means to me. The woman had an unreal, she had overvalued what others should pay. She had an unrealistic expectation. Now, the, there are times when it seems in our lives that God's expectations of us are too great, are too much. God has unrealistic expectations of us. God, why are you asking for that much? It's too much. And it's especially true in the area of finances. It seems that while we're struggling financially to keep it all together, God's expectation of us is somehow increasing. And the last thing we want to hear in a sermon, or we want to read when we open our Bibles, when we're struggling to make ends meet, are topics like tithing and giving and faith and generosity and greed and fear. Nobody wants to hear that when they're struggling with these things. But the truth is, we need to hear these things. We need to hear these things because it is in the challenging times that the truth needs to be magnified. It's in the challenging times that we need to be reminded of what it really means to put our trust in God. Now, our scripture today is just a segment of a bigger story of God's care and provision for the prophet Elijah. But Elijah's story at this part in the story intersects with a second story. It's the story of a woman. And immediately as their worlds collide, it seems like God is placing an unrealistic expectation on this stranger at the worst possible time in her life. So let's read together 1 Kings chapter 17 verses 8 to 12. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, and a little olive oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we might eat it and die. Wow. I just love that story. Our goal today is to see that God's expectations, although they may seem unrealistic, are never unrealistic because if we're faithful to respond to what appears to be unrealistic, God will reward our faith. 
And so let's take a walk through this morning. I want to start with tough times. The story really begins when King Ahab, the king of Israel, married a foreign woman named Jezebel. She's the daughter of the king of Sidon. Sidon are idol worshipers. And so she brings her idol worshiping into Israel. They worship Baal. The prophets of God are killed by her. And of course, God's not happy with how this is going down. So he calls his his prophet Elijah and he says, I want you to make an announcement to Ahab and to the nation of Israel that because of their idolatry and because they've killed the prophets of God, I'm going to shut up the heavens. There's not going to be any rain. And so what we see here is that there's a period of time, number of years, where rain ceases to fall in Israel. Now instantly on making that announcement, Elijah, who is just the messenger, is put at the top of the most wanted list. And King Ahab is searching everywhere so he can find him and kill him. But God has taken Elijah and he's hiding him at a place called the Kareth Brook. Now Ahab's actions have a huge impact on the land, on the people's livelihoods, and personally on the life of Elijah. Here he is, he's alone, he's scared, he's hiding, and he's helpless. Every day the ravens on God's direction would come in and feed him bread and meat twice a day. It was tough times. Some of the time of the story is two years later. He's been in this hiding alone for two years. And now the brook that was supplying his water has dried up and he needs to move on. And God told him, it's time for you to move. I want you to go to the town of Zarephath. He says, I have directed a woman there. Now, the word directed doesn't mean that he's, you know, talked to this woman. He's given her directions and instructions, and it's all established so that when he gets there, it's all going to be okay. That's not what it means. What it means is chosen. Not directed, but chosen. God is saying, I have chosen a woman there. She has been chosen by God to be a part of God's story But she has no idea. She has no idea. Hard times had fallen on her. Her husband is dead. She's probably young because she has one young child at home. Life is a constant struggle for her. Survival. That's her goal. She's alone. She's raising a child by herself. She has the sole responsibility for decisions and discipline. She has no partner to share it with. She's facing financial pressure. With the loss of her husband came the loss of family income. There's there's no work for this woman in this day, and her son is too young to send out and work. There's no social welfare system that she can tie into. She lives with the stigma of the label. She's a widow. Even Scripture doesn't give us her name. She's just the widow of Zarephath. And her circumstances are terrible. For the past two years, she's been struggling literally to stay alive. And she's at this moment in her life where time is up and she can't even stay alive any longer. She can't go any further. And so she's made the decision, I make this one last cake or one last bread, and then it's over. There's no more food available. Just enough flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And she's gathering the sticks for this one last meal before they die. Folks, without question, these were tough times. Tough times for Elijah the prophet. Tough times for this woman and her son. Tough choices. 
The distance from the Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan to Zarephath, where God was leading him, is about a hundred miles. To get there, Elijah would have to travel right through the heart of King Ahab's territory, his kingdom. And as we mentioned before, Ahab is desperately searching for, for Elijah. He's angry. He's motivated. And now Elijah has to walk right through the middle of all of that to get to where God is leading him. In fact, Ahab is so upset, he even told the surrounding nations, if I find out that you are harboring him, you're in trouble. Now, to add to this difficulty of God's request, not only does he have to walk through Ahab's territory, but Zarephath is actually located in the kingdom of Sidon. Again, Jezebel's father is the king of Sidon. And so God is saying, not only do I want you to walk a hundred miles through the territory of Ahab, but I want you to go to Jezebel's homeland. Obeying God in this is a big deal. There's a big risk here. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot of things that could go terribly wrong in this journey. But Elijah obeyed God's command. He did what God said. He put his trust in God to protect and lead him despite the circumstances. And so here he is. He's made it. He's at the, at the, you know, the gate of the town. He's coming into town. And he sees her there gathering sticks for her final meal. Their stories now intersecting. God needed someone to care for his servant. You know what? If I were writing the story, I would have picked the rich people in town. The ones with the guest room and a car that hardly ever gets driven with the pool. Right? But no, God picks this foreigner who's poor who's marginalized by society, who has absolutely nothing to offer. And Elijah asked her for water, and she went to get it, and he says, and can you bring me some bread? And then there's this moment of this abrupt stop. Food's going to cost her dearly. And so she began to explain her dilemma. And Elijah looks at her and says, I understand, sister. I understand. You're making a valid, valid argument. So guess, let's not be afraid here. Just go home and make the cake and the bread and just give it to me and I'll eat it. And you'll notice after I eat it that God will keep topping up your supplies. And then you and your son can eat. And the promise of God is going to be the flour and the oil is not going to be used up until the rain comes again. I often think about this and I think, this is like the sketchiest deal ever. Who wants to say yes to that? Yeah, right. I'm going to give all this to you, and somehow this God that I don't even know is going to take care of me? I guess on the other hand, she's just one loaf of bread away from dying anyway. What do you got to lose? One cake away from the end. So she went, and she made a tough choice. And she did as Elijah asked her to do, deciding to trust this God that she really didn't know anything about. But both of them knew what it meant to be faced with and to be willing to make tough choices. And thirdly, it's a tough trust. Through this journey, even though it was tough, 
Elijah learned a valuable lesson. He learned, hey, I can depend on God. When God says he's going to look after me and he's going to be faithful, he's going to do it. And he was willing to do whatever God asked despite the risk. And even though it didn't make sense and God protected Elijah and he used him to accomplish his purposes. It was a great story. The widow, this stranger, this foreigner, she discovered that she too could trust this God of Elijah that in the beginning she knew almost nothing about. Because every day when she went into her little kitchen, the flour was there and the oil was there and it didn't run out until the rain came. What God promised, he did. She didn't get barrels of flour. She didn't walk in and a Costco delivery showed up with oversized amounts of things. No. It was never overflowing because that wasn't God's promise. God's promise was every day when you wake up, there is going to be everything you need for that day. And God taught this woman the valuable lesson of daily dependence on him to meet her needs. And he provided it as long as the need existed. And when the rains came and that was no longer needed, it stopped. The woman and her son were given an extension of life because of God's faithful supplying hand and her willingness to trust him in the tough decision. Now, the next section in the story is, to me, one of the most critical parts because it gives us the insight into what it really means to trust God. The story should read like Hollywood would write it, that the son and the boy lived happily ever after. But that's not how it ended. In the midst of this daily miracle of God giving bread and giving oil and seeing it replenished every day and every day walking into the kitchen, it's like that peanut butter commercial where it talks about every time you eat it, it's like you just had it for the first time, right? You know that annoying commercial? And the guy eats it and goes, wow, this is great. Well, you just had it this morning. But, you know, this was her experience. But then there's a serious setback. The woman's son got really sick. He stopped breathing. He died. As you can imagine, this is a major impact on this woman. And her reaction is what you would expect. She's angry with God. She's frustrated with God. Why would God allow this to happen to us? God, I was faithful. I was faithful. I made a sacrifice. I gave everything I had to you in those moments when I didn't even know you, is this my reward? Is this my reward? We're told Elijah took the boy and he called out to God for a miracle and God answered his prayer and the boy recovered. And Elijah gave the boy back to his mother and I want us to see her response. She says, now I know, now, now I know that you're a man of God And now I know that the word of the the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now I know. What God did, what did God want to accomplish here? What is he trying to accomplish here? I believe God has used this terrible reality to mature her faith and her trust. She could already see God working in their daily life. 
But when this really significant crisis came, when this heart-wrenching crisis came, she lost sight of all that God had done for her before. The flour and the oil didn't matter now because something more important and terrible had happened. And it took this miracle to remind her that God could be trusted in any situation regardless of the magnitude. She learned to really trust into God despite how hopeless her situation looked. Because real trust in God, real authentic trust in God is a tough trust. It's a tough trust. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't come without significant cost. It doesn't come without significant loss. It's a tough trust. Now there are three things, observations I'd like to draw from this passage for us today. One is reality. Some of us here in this place this morning can identify with this woman. Maybe what should have been, what could have been in our lives has gone unrealized. You know the reality of things not working out as you planned. You know what disappointment, deep, deep disappointment feels like. And perhaps as you're sitting here today, you can identify with this woman. You, you feel alone that there's no one that can help you. There's no one really that wants to support you. You're bearing this burden alone even though you're surrounded by people all the time. It feels like you're the only one, that everyone else's life seems to be great, but your life, yours is the, is, is the bad one. Others wouldn't understand. Others wouldn't care. You're here and you're being crushed under the burden. And sometimes the pain of feeling alone in the midst of a terrible circumstance is even greater than the actual circumstance. And so you wish there was someone maybe to share your burden, to help you carry the load, to alleviate the pressure from you. Maybe you're here today and you understand financial pressure. Years of accumulated debt are finally catching up with you. Maybe you've racked up all your credit cards and your lines of credit and you know that you don't even want to think about it because you know there's no realistic means for you to pay them down. The needs of your family, the lifestyle you're living, is greater than what you're able to earn. Maybe you've recently been cut back at work or laid off or maybe there's been a reduction of income. Maybe there's these threats hanging over your head that your future is really uncertain. You might be on the verge of losing your business or your home. Maybe creditors are chasing you for unpaid debts. Maybe like the widow, there's a stigma that maybe you don't wear the black clothing that draws attention to your place that you find yourself in, but when people look at you, they see the single parent or the divorcee or the widow or the unemployed person or that one that's next to go at the company. And it's embarrassing because you want to care for your family. You want to be the provider for your family. Your identity, your self-esteem, your work are all linked together. They're important to you. And you feel like you failed. You failed yourself. You failed your family. You failed in the eyes of those around you. And you add to these things the normal struggles of life, and today you find yourself here in this room heavily burdened. You've kept it together for this long. 
But maybe today you're having one of those moments like the woman in the story that it's just, it's time's up. I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't go any further. I can't take it anymore. I'm out of options. I'm out of opportunities. Life for you is too much everywhere you look. That's your reality. Decision. Sometimes in the midst of overwhelming circumstances, God comes to us with an overwhelming expectation. And it doesn't seem fair. It's bad enough that we're already facing what we are. How can God have such high expectations from us at a time like this? God, this is not a good time. Have you ever had that conversation with God? Not a good time for me, God. What? God wants me to give tithes now? Offerings first? Yeah, right. That's an unrealistic expectation on your part, God. I mean, doesn't God know that these are tough economic times? Doesn't God know that living in the GTA is expensive? Doesn't God know that as Canadians, we have to go to the U.S. to buy our shoes and then smuggle them across the border? Doesn't God know Doesn't God know I just lost my job? Doesn't God know I could get laid off at any time? Doesn't God know that I'm drawing a retirement income that's been dramatically reduced? Doesn't God just know, no, I just bought a car, or we just bought a house, or our debts are high, or our income is limited, or then those kids we had that seemed like a good idea at the time turned out to be really expensive. And we feel like God should provide an exemption clause to give us a chance to get back on our feet. If there was ever a time for God to cut us some slack and give us some flexibility, certainly it's now. We're exhausted. We're out of options. There's next to nothing left to give. Why is he asking me? Well, if you feel this way today, I want you to know you're not alone. Many of us have felt this way. Many of us are feeling that way now too. But first of all, we need to know that God is not asking us to give because he needs what we have. God calls us to give because we need the experience of giving more and learning how to trust. God wants relationship with us. And the basis of any relationship is trust. What kind of relationship would exist without trust? It's not possible. And so he wants us to learn to trust him. And the truth is, finances are one of the areas that we tend to relinquish last because it's really hard to let go. It's really hard to trust God. It's hard to let go when you don't have much, and it's hard to let go when you have a lot. God cares very much about what we're facing, and He cares about what we're feeling. But more than anything, He knows that we need to learn how to trust Him and prove Him. And so all of us have a decision to make today. We have a decision to make, a tough choice. But then, like the woman, really, what do we have to lose? And thirdly, setbacks. Now, you've heard me talk about this because this is what I believe was a revelation from God for me personally that has impacted my my leadership, my life, and my trust in God that I, I I just can't get away from it. One of my favorite things even today, and Probably it's my favorite thing today because it's the only thing left at the playground that I can do. 
sit in a swing. Like, forget the monkey bars and the slides. I'd just be, that day is gone. But as a kid, even, that was my favorite. And a number of years ago, as I was reflecting and praying one day, God helped me to see an illustration in that that has really affected my life, my leadership, and my relationship with Him. And there were three things that I brought from that experience with God. The first is this. Going backwards is not necessarily negative. Going backwards can be positive. You can only go forward on a swing when you pull back. Going back allows you to gain the momentum that you need to go forward. And so pulling back is not necessarily failure. It can be strategic for success. Secondly, you can only gain a good perspective on what's ahead of you and in front of you from the pullback position. Otherwise, all you're seeing is blue sky or gray sky. And it's during the pullback time that you can see and you can understand and you can get a perspective on what's happening and what we need to do. And thirdly, if you want to soar high, you can't glide into the forward motion. When that timing switches from going back to going forward, you have to give it everything you have. Now, we see, tend to see pullbacks, setbacks, failures, whatever you want to call them in our lives, as negative experiences, and they can be. But there's no recipe for success that doesn't have failure as an ingredient, and I could give you a list, but I won't, of people who failed miserably before being successful. But what I want you to know today is simply this. God uses our failures, our setbacks, our pullbacks to build our trust in Him. It's only when the woman's son died and was brought back that she truly understood trust. And it's confusing for us when we're faithful and we make sacrifices and we trust God and and appears for nothing. Like, God, I gave you my life. I did all of this for you and this this is what I get in return. And we feel like sincerely at times God has let us down. But I want to encourage you this morning, don't stop trusting. Don't stop trusting. Garner all the momentum you can. Maximize this season and this moment of your life because when the moment comes for the momentum to turn in the other direction, it will help you move forward with everything you have. Allow God by His Spirit to give you a new perspective, to see new things. To see what he's asking of you. And don't glide into this next season of your life. Give it everything you have. Everything you have. Use your setbacks as momentum for greater trust in God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. There's an old story that I'm sure you've heard about a traveler who hiked for many miles across the desert mountains. His water supply was gone. He knew that if he didn't find water soon, he was on the verge of death. In the distance, he noticed an abandoned cabin and hoped to find some water there. And once he made his way to the cabin, he discovered an old well. And they noticed a tin can tied to the pump with a note inside. And the note said, Dear stranger, this water pump is in working condition. But the pump needs to be primed in order for the water to come out. Under the white rock, I buried a jar of water out of the sun. There's enough water in the jar to prime the pump, but not if you drink any of it first. When you're finished, please fill the jar and put it back as you found it for the next stranger who comes this way. Tough decision. 
Do you risk wasting this little bit of water that you know that you have in your hand in belief that if you pour it in, more is going to flow? What if it doesn't work? What if it's all a lie? What if it's not going to go that way? I want to say to you this morning that sometimes you have to be willing to pour everything in before you can see God's supply, even if His expectation seems unrealistic to you. Trusting God by, yeah, giving our money, our time, our abilities, our experiences, when we feel that we don't have enough, when it feels like God's just trying to take it away from us. Rather, it's an opportunity for God to give us more to meet our needs, to show himself that he can be trusted if we take the risk. Because as we've been saying from the beginning, it is only when our financial priorities align with kingdom priorities will we handle our finances in a way that declares that Jesus is truly the Lord of our lives. Folks, Jesus was right. It's only when we let it go that we're going to find it. It's only when we give ourselves wholly and completely to Him can we find any purpose and meaning in this life. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. And as our worship team leads us, and I'm going to ask our prayer team if they would make their way to the front. And I'm going to ask you for a couple of things this morning. Some of you are here today And you need prayer. And we want to pray for you this morning. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to believe with you and help you so you don't feel like you're alone in all of this. But perhaps you're here this morning and you just need some time in this environment where God by His Spirit is speaking to our hearts and moving into this place to consider and contemplate what God's Word is saying to us. And making that commitment once again to really trust Him with it all. Father, this morning as we stand here in this place in Your presence, Lord, we are grateful that we can be a part of this community of faith, that You have led us here, that this is the community of faith, this is the family that we're a part of. And we are thankful that This next season, though we are reminded of its challenges and its struggles and its uncertainties, this next season is an exciting and hopeful one for us as we look forward to what it is you're going to do through this place and in this place, through us and in us. And Lord, we stand here today and we recognize that, yes, we we need to be sacrificial. We'll need to give sacrificially of our finances and our time and our talents and our experiences and invest into it. But God, we do it freely today because we believe that we're a part of something significant, that you have called us to the kingdom for such a time as this, that you're leading this, you're guiding us, you have a plan and you have a purpose. And our role is to be faithful And to come alongside and to give ourselves 
not to a church plan, not to a leader's vision, but wholeheartedly to you, to following you, to serving you, to doing the work you've called us to do. Lord, thank you that we can be a part of this here at this time. And help us, God, when the expectations seem to be unrealistic, when we don't seem to have what it takes to do what you're asking, God, help us to step up and step out and believe that if you're challenging us to it, then you can be trusted in it. And it's going to be all right. So, Father, today we just pray, help all of us as individuals to wrestle what that means to really, really give ourselves to you. What does that really mean? Help us to come to grips with that, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. If you are able to help out at all next week, swing by the information desk, would you? And put your name on that list. We'll see you next week. God bless you.